It's about strange things in life. That's what's strange, stranger thing. For the grown-ups, Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton said that facts are always stranger than fiction. Because in fiction we produce what we find believable, but facts doesn't always suit what we want to believe. So, so there's something for the kids, something for the grown-ups. Um, but what you find that is really strange is we are probably the strangest of all creatures. You will find in yourself you would love novel things. We love novelty. We love clicking on something and seeing something beautiful. We are driven to find new exciting stuff that is mind-blowing and fantastic and that kind of stuff. So on the one hand, we love novelty. We love new things. We love to see new things. We love to understand new things. We love to experience new things. Uh, I guess that's why world travelers on the go, you believe you'll have more life when you go over the water and experience something else. And there's some truth in it, isn't it? New things are incredibly wonderful, strange things. But we as humans are incredibly strange creatures. So on the one hand, the things that does not really matter to us, we love novelty and change. But to the things that we do hold dear to our hearts, we don't like to be changed. And that's what you have there in your outline. Do you know that you suffer from confirmation bias? Confirmation bias is an area of cognitive psychological research that every human being has the tendency to, in a field of knowledge, choose the bits out of that that suits what they already believe. We all suffer from this weird thing. So if you have a conviction, something close to your heart, knowingly or unknowingly, if you find facts that kind of pulls that into question, you will tend to dismiss those facts. You would rather hold on to the facts of the things that you already know and believe. We are strange creatures. We love strange things when it doesn't matter, but when it does matter, we get stuck in our ways. So really what I'm just trying to say to you is that as human beings, we battle to be objective. We have preconceived ideas, and we are looking for confirmation of those ideas as we go along. And that's really what this little passage is in one sense all about, isn't it? I mean, on the surface, it is Jesus, the third time that Jesus comes and appears to them in Luke's gospel. One is ex explained in quite extensive detail, what Sean did last week, the guys on Emmaus. There's a reference to the Lord appearing to Simon, which we know nothing about. But here, as they are talking and getting all excited about it, wham, Jesus is in their midst. And they all instinctively say, oh, fantastic, it's Jesus, it's wonderful, life is going to be good. No, they instinctively do what normal people do when you have just been to someone's funeral and you arrive at the meal afterwards. You don't expect the guy who you've just buried to be there. It's kind of a weird thing. It hasn't happened to me yet in the funerals I've done. Normally the person is not there. And uh, they thought, wow, we are seeing a ghost or a spirit. They've already been told he's not in the grave. They've already, two people have seen him. Simon has seen him. And yet when he appears, they are like confirmation bias. This cannot be real. This must be some spiritual experience that I'm having at the moment. Because that's what they believe. They believe you could see spirits, and some of you probably do see spirits. It's real. But to see Jesus actually standing there, and then suddenly appears in front of them, I mean, that's kind of... Ghost-like, isn't it? 
and they are frightened. Look at what he says to them. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost or they saw a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Actually, why do doubts rise in your hearts? I mean, he's saying to them, you know this. You should know this by now. I have told you over and over and over again this is going to happen. And now it's happening and you're still finding it difficult. Because the facts are indeed stranger than what they expected to be. And so Jesus says, here I am. Flesh and bones, I'm standing in front of you. Then he says to them, huh, they still don't get it. He shows them, look at the nail marks in my hands and my feet. It's not just a generalized version of me. This is the crucified version of me. The one you saw hanging on the cross. These are all the marks in me. Come and touch me. And then they are still amazed and confused. I mean, isn't that nice? Look at this 41. And while they were still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them. So you, they kind of, kind, of, kind of stuck in this whole idea. I mean, really, is it possible? Is it true? Is it real? And they are confused. And Jesus said, okay, then give me something to eat. And he eats some fish. And uh, that's the, what they call the ghost exercise. All right? So if you see something in your house, that's, or someone that's not supposed to be there, one of the best ways to find out if they go is to give them something to eat. <laughs> if it falls on the floor and it makes a mess in your carpet, you know it's not real. <laughs> if it stays somewhere here, then you know this is a real person. And you probably need to deal with them. This is the ultimate ghost test. All right? So remember that. Have something to eat always nearby in case you see something. And you say, Eat. So here's the weirdest thing, isn't it? This is weird, isn't it? This, this, this really does exercise our possibilities. How can someone who is physical suddenly appear and disappear? Is it actually possible? Is that fact too strange for you to believe, despite the fact that Jesus has been telling them over and over and over again in Luke's Gospel four or five times that this is going to happen. The Old Testament predicts it's going to happen. He's standing. It's the third time he appears to them. And this is possible. I mean, this is, this is great, isn't it? This is much better than Star Trek, hey? Beam me up, Scotty, you know? In Star Trek, even, they need you to be at the right place, and Scotty must be at the machine, and he must hit the button, and then you disappear and you go back to the ship, you know? Jesus just goes about whatever he wants, and he's real. I mean, that's wacko. That, people, is resurrection. That's not resuscitation. It is not a ghost-like thing that talks about the eternal existence of the soul. This is embodied life, what God has prepared for us before the foundation of the world. That we will be this, I don't know, weird, physical, and can go places and disappear and reconstitute wherever we want. This is what we see in Jesus Christ. Embodied life. All the good stuff of the physicality will be there in God's new heaven and earth. I mean, just think about it. Last weekend, while you guys were sitting here, myself and Leon had a great time. We were sitting in a river in the mountain with nice, chill water. 
under a little waterfall. And the water was just gushing down you. And <laughs> you feel alive. Do you like that? You're going to have that in Christ forever. Real experience. A nice beer on a hot afternoon. Huh? You know how it feels when it goes down? Good stuff. The sun beating down on you as we got out of the water and we're starting to defrost. That sensation, that's eternal life. It's going to be there. There's going to be no pain, no death, no suffering, no confusion. All the unbelievably good things about physicality is going to be there. I know some of you are really suffering physically. Amazing, isn't it? This resurrected body is physical. But it doesn't have any of the limitations of physicality. Do you want that? Do you want to be a ghost that floats around in a cloud and playing a harp? Or do you actually want to live this life and this Probably the best way you can put it, on steroids. That's what we have in the resurrection. That is unique. That is so weird. There is no one ever in the history of mankind that has come up with anything like this. You will not find it in fiction. You will not find it in any belief system anywhere else in the world. This is what God has been planning for his people. And that's what he gives us in Christ Jesus. That's where you see it. I mean, that's just insane. Every single thing that you, as a human being, actually long for is captured in Jesus Christ as he stands in front of them. Says to him, I am here. Here I am. I have come to save you. I have come to give you new life. And so in Jesus we see that. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to get them to. Can you not see that it's me, the one who has come, and I have changed everything. This is new creation happening right now. His body did not see decay. Unfortunately, we probably will, depending on how long it takes for Jesus to come back. But just as God created, when he spoke everything into existence, he raised Jesus Christ to life. And Jesus says, in me, you can see Everything And Jesus' body at this stage fits both heaven and earth. And so he can travel around. We unfortunately are stuck here. And yet, he is saying, this is the reality. This is the nature of the new beginning that I have come to bring about. This is the hope that JP just spoke about. Now, if you are in doubt... Have you ever seen these things on YouTube or whatever? They have photos of a group of friends or a family member or whatever that they take every year from basically birth. Every year they've got photos. Have you, have you noticed something as you follow those photos? Go on, go on to YouTube or whatever you call these things. Fascinating to see a couple of friends or whatever take photos. Boop. Every year they take the same photo. Guess what happens? starts to change it first goes up and then 
it starts to flatten out, and then it starts to go down. Everything in this world is fading, and it is decaying, and it will die. Jesus says, here I am. Death has no hold on me. Massive thing that's happening right here. This is the nature of the message that I've been telling you. That every aspiration of every human ever is, yeah, right, yeah. Life without limitations. Isn't that what you want? You know, you want to be Superman and fly wherever you like. Go where you go. Never get hurt, except if they give you that kind of kryptonite stuff. Yeah, it says, I am living beyond any limitations, and I have come for you. That is so strange. You probably your mind is zing, nah, not real. No one to spend my time thinking about that, because that's not real. I mean, that's nice, make believe. Jesus says, "Here I am. Touch me. I am for you." And in Him, He is now going to tell us there is hope for every single person in this world. I have come for everyone who is prepared to accept the reality of who I am and what I'm standing for. There's hope. That's why he now constitutes the whole thing. So the whole thing is happening. Everything is new now. Boom, you've seen it. You've touched it. And you can see it. Now I want you to go, and I want you to go and tell the whole world about the reality of what is going on. And so I don't want to spend too much time on that second one, the scriptural message of the new beginning. But it's fascinating when you start to read it. The whole Old Testament is written so that we can actually have our memories jarred. We are not the only people who have been alive. We're not the only people who've had aspirations. We're not the only people who want to flourish. We're not the only people who want to survive. That's been happening for generations and generations. The Old Testament takes you back and says, trigger your memory. Human beings have always wanted to live. That's a good thing. If I start the story with once upon a time, a long, long time ago, what happens to your heart? It's all goosey, isn't it? Good. That's what it's supposed to do. The Old Testament is written so that we can know there has been a creation. There is good. And life is good. And yet, it goes on very quickly to tell us that we have a problem. And the problem can be summarized by two words, God and sin. So right through this whole Old Testament memory jogging experience that the Old Testament gives us, so we can think straight, so we can think in context. Where are we from? Why are we here? How did we get here? There's the Old Testament tells you all of that. But it tells you more than that. It tells you that there is two issues that humanity refuse to take serious. And that is God and sin. And sin and God. Man still believes he can live life without God. And that is his sin. And that, the scriptures reminds us of as well. Just think about it, guys. How many international conferences has been in the world that says, let's address our lack of understanding and believe in God? Hands up. Anyone of you paid 
flown across the world? How many conferences has there been to say, let's address the major issue with humanity is his sin? We've got all the world leaders coming together. And what we're discussing is this problem we have of sin. No, we don't need it. We need better economy. That'll change the world. Better laws. That'll change the world. The Bible tells you what you don't want to believe and hear and accept and understand. You've got a problem. You are actually either ignoring God or you're actually rebelling against Him. And that is your sin, and for that you will die. And no matter how many conferences we hold, how many intelligent people we have, you will not change that reality. Old Testament tells you that. We don't need to go into the future, we can just go into the past. Here was a nation that had all the perfect laws of justice and righteousness, not only to God but to one another. Go and read the Old Testament. Fantastic laws. So righteous you can't believe it. They wouldn't keep it. And they can't keep it. Because they deny the reality and the supremacy and the firstness of God himself. So Israel's whole history is simply a massive projection of reality for the world to see that no matter how good we make the laws we cannot fix the problem it is beyond humanity to fix humanity's own problem there's the Old Testament Jesus says I'm telling you what the law and the prophets and the Psalms have been saying it's all about me there is a problem and there's no solution from mankind's side but God has promised third point there quickly the promise of grace. I will come and I will become like one of you and I will put on your life and I will live the life that you can't do so that I may die the death that you deserve so that I may be raised so that you may have life. I'll do it. Because everything depends on me. I'm the one who created everything, who holds everything. And so ultimately Jesus says, well, that's what I'm telling you guys. Verse 44 this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. There it is. Boom. Old Testament. You need context to understand Jesus. There's the context. You only need Jesus to be saved, all right? But you need context to understand what that salvation is really all about. And that's what he's saying to them there. I have come to fulfill it all. I've just died. I've shown you the marks, and I'm resurrected. I'm standing here right in front of you. I have fulfilled everything that the Old Testament said about me. I will do it. I've just done it. Why are you perplexed? Why are you confused? Why do you believe something different? Why are you hoping for something different? I'm yeah. It's amazing. I'm right here in front of you. Verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead, and on the third day... Uh, on the third day, and the repentance must be proclaimed to everyone. So there's the scriptural message, okay? There's a lot we can talk about there. Jesus makes sense in the light of what God has said before. This is not something new, even though we find it strange. Difficult for us to grasp what he's saying, and yet he has been speaking about this almost forever. Then the missional enterprise of the new beginning, here it is, repent and be forgiven. Repent means to change your mind. You need to change your mind about yourself. 
you cannot solve your own problem. Neither will your wife or your husband or your children or the next generation solve the problem. I mean, you find this often. People say, children are the future. Which children? You were also a children at one stage. How well did you change the world? Why do you put that burden on your children that they must change the world? They'll fail just like you and me. Stop believing that children is the future of the world. They are not a burden they cannot carry. There's only one hope for the future, and that is Jesus Christ. You've got to think through this. Do not burden your children by expecting them to be something that you have failed to be. You are insane if you do that. It's ridiculous, isn't it? When you think about it. Why do you think they are the future? They're not. There's only one future that Jesus says, and that is that you must change your mind about what the problem is, and you need to be forgiven from the one you have rejected and not known and not loved, not understood, and not recognized with, not acknowledged, and not worshipped. New mind leads to new relationships based on forgiveness. Because God has done it all. You've got to deal with Him. You've got to change your mind with who you need to deal with. You need to deal with God. <laughs> That's who you need to deal with. And the wonderful thing is, He says, I have come to deal with you. And I've taken on your issues, and I'm prepared to forgive you. So come to me. Change your mind about what you think is the problem and where you're going to find the solution because the solution's in me. I need to forgive you. Isn't that amazing? And it must be declared to everyone. We're declaring it this morning. It must be announced because it's news. It's not something you need to do. It's something that was done. It happened. You declare it. You don't have to try and work it out. You don't try to become it. Jesus is it. He's done it. You announce the message. You don't try and do the message. You follow the message, but you don't try and do the message. The message is done. Jesus Christ has come, and now there is forgiveness and uh, repentance in his name. To all the nations, that's very simple. So that's why we're here. We're at least, fortunately, a little bit diverse. So there's some evidence. There's some Afrikaners, and there's some English, and there's some Zimbabweans, and who else is here? From where else? Anyone else? Those are? Right. This is a message that every nation must hear. Go and tell them. Tell them there is hope that every human being who wants to have life can have life through repentance and forgiveness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells them to go off and tell them. And that is really, in one sense, the only hope for our world, isn't it? I mean, our world is full of conflict, isn't it? How many of you had a fight with your family member this morning coming to church? But, but your issue is not going to make it into the newspaper, Okay. There's conflict in families. There's conflict in marriages. There's conflict between parents and children. There's conflict between children and children. There are big conflicts. There are racial conflicts. There are economic conflicts. There are political conflicts. They're everywhere. And I'm sure you feel, most of the time, that the other person's the problem. How do you move through? Have you ever tried to solve a problem between two people? <laughs> it is a nightmare. 
What is it going to help two people who say they love one another to actually work together? Once you've reached my standard, or will you only reach it through repentance and forgiveness? I need your forgiveness. I give you my forgiveness. Otherwise, we are not going to move beyond this point. Because I'll always feel I have the moral high ground. There is no hope for humanity without repentance and forgiveness. Not at the human level and certainly not at the human divine level. Good news? Change the way in which you think so that you may receive forgiveness and may offer forgiveness. That's the answer to the problem of the conflict in our world. It is the agenda that Jesus Christ sends us out into the world to go and proclaim. So instead of trying to figure out how wrong the other person is, which is not meaning they're not wrong, work very hard at changing your mind so that you may forgive. You see how powerful that is. That's the agenda for our world. And then quickly, the spiritual dynamic. Jesus needs to open your mind. You need to go to him. He's the one who opens your mind to understand the scriptures, understand everything that all is about. This is a fantastic thing. So we start with Jesus. We read our Bible. We end up with Jesus. Beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, all of that kind of language. You cannot understand the scriptures if you don't go through Jesus. You will pick up the bits you like and you will deny the bits you don't like. But only in Jesus will you find him fulfilling every single thing so that you may have life. And for that... You need the Spirit, which he promises in verse 49. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. Great gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit enables you to comprehend and accept and to bring all the diverse facts and realities together so that you can see who Jesus is, so that you can love him, accept him, proclaim him. Massively important thing, isn't it? So Jesus has given us everything we need to know God and to make him known. We've got the Word, Old Testament, that's all about Jesus. Jesus gives us the mind to understand that Old Testament and he gives us the Spirit to have a changed heart and mind and energy to do what God says in through Jesus Christ. So you can't, you can't uh, bail out. Good news, isn't it? He has already given you everything you need. And then let's end it off very quickly. The end of Jesus' journey and the new ascension reality. Luke has been telling us, I want you, Theophilus, to read very carefully what I've said because I very carefully have worked out and investigated and put into order all the things so that you may come to know with certainty the things that you were taught. And I want you to have certainty because I want you to believe it. They eventually came to the point where they, the disciples, believed Jesus Christ. What do you believe? What do you believe about life? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about the person sitting next to you? What do you believe about the future? What do you believe? Who is the one who enables you to see 
Jesus. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe in him? Do you believe him? Do you believe what he says? Believe. Simple in one sense. Complicated in another sense, isn't it? Because I have this confirmation bias. I want to hear only the bits of the Bible that actually confirms what I already believe about myself. It's a strange thing to come to the point where you say, I believe Jesus Christ and I do not believe myself and I do not believe my parents and I do not believe the politicians and I do not believe those people. I believe Jesus Christ. Have you, are you convinced? We've been working through Luke for two years, I think, or an obvious. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you convinced? Well, this is fantastic because he helps you to see if you are. So if you are believing in him, you will rejoice in him. Where's your joy? In Jesus or in something else? If you believe him, believe that he is the only one who has conquered sin and death. You believe that he is your hope. Well, you will rejoice in him. I mean, you tend to rejoice in what you believe. That's how you know. It's very fantastic how the Bible puts all these things together. If Jesus is not what you rejoice in, you probably don't believe in him. You probably know about him. You've read a lot about him, but you don't believe him to the point where you actually put your life in his hands to take you through that last little hiccup we all have to go through still. It's called death. And you go through it alone. Nobody goes with you. But Jesus can. Everybody else you'll leave behind or they'll leave you behind. You believe him. Well, then you will rejoice in him like they did right here. They rejoiced in him. Because they believed that he is the new life. The resurrection life. The embodied good life that we all so desperately long for. He has done it. So they rejoice in him and therefore they worship him. What do you worship? Where's your heart? What can you not live without? That's how you know what you worship. Do you worship Jesus? Can you not live without Jesus? What do you worship? Believing leads to rejoicing, which leads to worship. I now understand the wonder of what Christ has come to give me. I'm growing in it. Yes, I've got a lot to grow, and I'm not there yet, and I'm not there all the time. But I know, and I believe, and therefore I rejoice, and I worship him. And then the last one, you, well, our Bible says, praising God. It's actually the word bless. It's a lack of word. Have you ever thought about blessing God? I mean, it's a weird concept, isn't it? The word bless simply, simply means speaking well of. Speaking well to. Who do you speak well of? What is the good news that comes out of your mouth from day to day? Is it about this incredible person, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to love us, to provide for us, to secure for us eternal life, who changes your heart and your thinking and your will and your behavior? Is that the good news you are telling? Are you talking well about Jesus? Or is good news something else? You would know. Because we talk about what we find good. What works for us. 
That's the good news. He says they were praising. They were saying to God, God, you are good. And they were declaring it in public. They were saying, you are the only good one. Isn't that amazing? You see where, where Luke is taking you. He started you with, I want you to know for sure. Why? So that you will believe, rejoice in worship and bless. Meaning speak well of this Jesus Christ. Who has come to save and change the world. And for whom he is the only hope for every human person on the face of this earth. Good news. Not so? Who will accept you as you are? Who will forgive you if they really know what you think of them all the time? Who? Who do you know that knows you inside out and still will die for you? Is there anybody like Jesus Christ? Believe in him. Ask him to help you so you will rejoice in him so that you may worship him and that you may tell of the goodness of him to your own soul and to those around you. As you do that, you've heard Luke. That's how you know you've heard it. That's how you know. It's fantastic. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder, did I hear what Luke has got to say about Jesus? You'll know. Because you are believing Jesus is the only one who's conquered every jolly thing that shatters our lives. He's the only one that I can rejoice in because he's never going to die. And he's the only one that is worthy of my worship. And therefore I will proclaim him to myself and to wherever I go. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this unbelievable thing. It's very difficult for us to believe that that could be true. That we are going to be changed to have the same existence as Jesus has in this passage. That pain and frustration and suffering and death and evil and unfairness and brokenness confusion, despair, none of those things is our inheritance. And it's only because of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we pray that your spirit who has written down these words through Luke will write that on our hearts. We pray that we may wrestle with this. We pray that we may argue with this. We even pray, Father, you'll help us to try and disprove what we've read here. Lord, do whatever it takes to convince us of the uniqueness and the splendor and the strangeness of the goodness and the glory and the kindness and the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. Thank you for reminding us again. Thank you that now is the day of salvation. Now we can put our hand into your hand. Now we can know that we will live from now on and forever. And that's because of Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for this. We pray this in your name. Amen.